right, my friends, welcome back to the Kokoro Movement Podcast. On this episode, we have the SoCal Bike PT, Dr. Tim Wu. This guy is bananas. He has so much energy and so much knowledge and information, and we just went after it. This is probably the longest Kokoro Movement Podcast to date, and it is brought to you by Megan Calloway's Ultimate Landmine Program. So please go check that out at MeganCallowayFitness.com. That's M-E-G-H-A-N CallowayFitness.com and pick that up because it's amazing. Um, I've been using it. My clients have been using it. It's great. And so without further ado, here we go with Dr. Tim Wu. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. How are you? Oh, what's up, Jesse? I'm doing fine. It's a lovely hot day here in Southern California. Just finished a bike ride, back in the clinic, ready to talk to you. Right <laughs> on, brother. Right on. So, yeah, the bike riding thing. So, I grew up riding BMX, and I rode, like, you know, the street riding. So, I would just ride and grind rails all over town and just ride all over. We have one hill in Flagstaff that like separates Flagstaff from east side to west side. Oh yeah. There'd be times in the summer where you're just riding your bike, your little kid's bike with like one gear up this one gear. Just like this is the worst ever. So (laughs) bad. But I don't know how you feel except I never really rode in like hundred degree temperatures. So yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's like we were talking uh, a minute ago. It's like the first heat wave in Southern California. So last week it was like mid 70s and then yesterday and monday which were like 104 degrees i was like oh god so you know i'm dumb and smart at the same time i go train in the middle of the day when it's hottest i can get most like acclimated to the heat what it does is now i'm just like a sweaty hot mess and i have a headache but i'll get better at that because all the races are in the middle of the day like why train first thing in the morning when it's cold train in the middle of the day so I'm stoked to be inside and uh, chatting with you now with my AC unit just blasting on me right now. It <laughs> that's feels awesome. so good. Yeah. So that's like, so that's a concept that comes up in my podcast a lot, how you need discomfort to be comfortable, right? Oh, so, 100%. I mean, it's the said principle applied to all things. If you right. want to perform well in the heat, go train so you get good at performing in the heat. And right. it completely changes like your mindset of how you gauge your water intake and nutrition, your efforts on the bike, because because it's hotter, it's harder to perform. So like you have to recalibrate how you think about racing when it's hot, because it, it's just it's like trying to run like a dirt bike when it gets too hot. You're just not going to have enough power. You got to like make sure that you can still regulate and get your heat out and get your oxygen. It's just, it's a hot mess. Yeah, but then you got to figure that out. So it's like, you know, yeah, people don't have enough discomfort in their lives, I think, and that's why they're trying to create it. So, oh, yeah. you know, that's, that's my, that's my solution when everybody's like, why are these crazy middle-aged white women calling 
the cops on black people having coffee at a coffee shop. I'm like, because they're crazy and they don't have enough discomfort in their lives. You know what I mean? So they're, <laughs> they're that's just, so damn true. <laughs> so they're just trying to create it. And so that's the only way that they could think to do it, you know? So it's just, I don't know, but that's like, I have, and I say this a lot on the podcast, so people are probably tired of hearing it, but I have a lot of clients who only come and see me for like three weeks out of the year. And it's because they're like, Oh shit, I got to sign up for imaging and I'm going to start training right now. And it's like three weeks out from that run, but yep. then, then they go and run and then it's terrible and then they hate it. And then, but then the rest of their life is really beautiful because they went through this terrible thing. You know what yeah. I mean? Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it, there's two, there's two human stories. There's, there's struggle and progress. Like, <laughs> right. That's basically all things. So like I tell my patients all the time, I'm like, uh, I'm going to make you struggle because out of that comes progress. Like you're not coming in here for me just to massage you. Like you're going to do hard shit because yeah. it makes you stronger and better. And like, yeah, I treat cyclists and everyone has their deeper meaning of why, but like my running joke with every person is like, my goal is to make you as hard to kill as possible. Right. And they look at me and I'm like, like, what are you like? Teach me like Krav Maga or how to shoot guns. I'm like, no, I mean like what kills most people is like being sedentary, like cardiovascular diseases, diabetes. Like, like look at the list of the things that kill the most Americans. It's not like guns, violence, and terrorism. It's like, preventable things from just sitting on your lazy ass your whole life and then all of a sudden be like oh well i got old like no the bike for a lot of my people is now the vehicle for which they find a reason to take care of themselves like yeah. it's not the bike that itself like shit, it could be canoes um golf well golf's not a good one because it's more skill and they find some kind of the running like there's some mm -hmm. kind of medium and the bike becomes that for them so i joke i'm like yeah i'm gonna teach you how to ride bikes better and be in less pain and ride harder but also I'm going to teach you how to like live as long as possible and not get killed by like chronic stress affecting your immune system where you get sick all the damn time. And when we start talking like that, they're like, Oh, this is a little different than like the whatever PT clinic my doctor tried to send me to. And I was like, yes. And that's good. Uh, <laughs> yes. And that's so interesting because you, <clears throat> yeah, man, I got, there's so much shit in my head. So we got to, um, address that because it's really important because there's, there's, you know, cause I'm a massage therapist and through all these education courses, I've met a lot of chiropractors and a lot of PTs that are like the same way they're cash based model. They spend a lot of time with people and they're yeah. actually trying to make them better. So they're, and you know, um, me and Andy, um, have come up with a system that combines like the therapy with the training and yeah. kind of blurs that line, which is what we're all trying to do. And oh so, yeah essentially we're all just trying to make like more resilient human beings that are fully capable of going out there and just not like from my personal practice, not being a liability, right? Yeah. Oh and yeah. You're not a liability yourself and the people around you. And so, <laughs> and, and so there's a, I like that. Yeah. So there's a level of suffering and discomfort that you need to go through in order to accomplish that thing. So like, yeah. if you're like in, and you know, I always like equate it to danger because that's how I started out my uh, athletic careers in mixed martial arts, right? Nice. And so you're, you want to be able to run away from danger. Mm -hmm. And if you're like, mm, I don't know, it's kind of hot outside. I just want to stay in here where it's comfortable and everybody's getting shot. That's not how this works. You know what I mean? Like you need to be yeah. able to like, you need to be able to endure shitty stuff because like when it gets hot, it gets awful. 
And yeah, the oh, very yeah. first thing that your brain wants to do is get you to comfort immediately. immediately. Yes. Um, yeah. Like I talk about this. It's kind of funny. Like um, I knew I was a little different and I think differently than some most people when I was like, training like in my garage and working out hard and someone's like yeah why are you training so hard i was like for life bro <laughs> and they're like well what do you have to do i'm like all right this is gonna sound weird but i have i have two almost three kids are a four-year-old and a two-year-old no lie i want to know if some shit went down i could pick both of them up and sprint a hundred yards no question well i don't care if we're in a building and someone starts shooting up there's a fire there's a tsunami i'm gonna outrun it like if there's some reason i gotta pick up my kids and run and that's the that's the way i'm gonna survive i want to know i can do that maybe i watched too many disaster movies or someone's like oh running and i'm running and then you know like there's always that person that's like "Ah, ah, ah, ah," something's coming and it kills them and i like knowing uh-uh, not gonna be me. I'd be up there pulling both kids. They're fine. And it's weird that I think like that when I start talking to my patients about that. Because no, like, of the people I see, like, only a handful of them, like, their full-time job is riding and racing bikes. Like, that's easy. It's the hard part is, like, do normal life and fulfill your roles and responsibilities. Most people, like, for me, example, you have being a dad, being a husband, being uh, whatever you do for work, being whatever member of your community. There's all these identities you have to balance. And then there's like this athlete side of it. So you need to be able to like enjoy your time on the bike and train have, and be part of your community. And then also be able to like be a dad and a husband and take care of your family and go to work and not just constantly break down. And most of my people, when I see them, it's not that they've broken down on the bike. It's that they broke down in all the other areas of their life. And the thing they care about most, which now causes them pain, now is what's the alarm that says, hey, I need some help. So when I started diving into like, okay, let's look at like the four pillars of health. Like how's your sleep? How's your stress management? What's your like nutrition and just food, just intake? Let's call it intake. What the hell's going into your body? And the last one is like actual movement-based stuff. Once you start breaking down those other three, they're like, Oh, well, I'm sleeping like shit. I'm stressed the fuck out of my new job. Uh, I eat like crap because I run around all that damn time. But then I go try and train and then I'm hurting. And I'm like, yeah, we need to kind of like, we'll get, I can make your knee stop hurting now. That's not hard. But then rebuilding you up on the bike and all this other part of your life is how I make you as hard to kill as possible. So a lot of times that first visit in here is like, whoa, like you go through like my intake formula. These are crazy questions. And I was like, yep. On purpose. <laughs> right. And so, <laughs> so, you know, you say you're weird for thinking like that, but I think that everybody else is weird for not thinking that way. Yeah. Um, I think I was talking about this with one of my patients the other day, one of my favorite patients. We talk about like, kind of like how the middle of the bell curve distribution of people tend to think. And what I'm, what I've experienced over my years of being in practice is like most people don't, they, they'll, they're more likely to run away from pain than to like move towards pleasure when they're doing something. So they'll take more action when they're hurting or things are uncomfortable to get comfortable. But then once they're there, it's really hard to sell them on the idea of like moving towards something that's pleasurable, like making them stronger and more resilient. Like people will take action to stop hurting today, but then they won't take action to build themselves up later. So trying to sell the I'm going to like the, the delayed gratification stuff. Like I'm going to sell you on injury prevention. Like just does not work. Like no one cares about preventing something bad from happening. They only care about responding to stuff. So it's really hard to get the right people. You want to like 
hey, let's respond to this, let's get you in here, and then let's teach you, you don't want that to happen again, and then here's your outcomes you want them moving forward. It's really interesting. Yeah, so that's been the, that's the everlasting conundrum of our business, right? Yeah. Like, how do we get these people to do stuff that makes them better? Because like, really all we do is like put out fires. But we trying to, we're trying to teach them how to fireproof their house. Yeah. But they're not interested in that. They're just like, no, I can't rotate my head to the left. And yeah. Like, how often do you rotate your head to the left? Yeah. Well, I don't. Well, then that's why it hurts when you rotate your head to the left because you had to look that way and your brain didn't have a solution for that movement. And so it was a startle response. That yeah. I, yeah. And so, you know, but then... So that's like, I talk to so many people all the time about how do we do this? How do we get people to just move forward in indefinitely? So like, you know, I, my thing right now is I get them in for like the body work stuff and we get, we put the fires out and then I'm like, Hey, this is how you make this last. And then I try to get them into like the training space you know yeah. what I mean? and then go back and forth as we need to. But like the, the function range conditioning course, like, uh, Dr. Andrea Spina says, you know, whenever my clients ask me how often I should do the homework, he says, I don't know, quit your job and do it all day. And then they might do it <laughs> five times. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so yeah. Like, if, you, if you just say some astronomical number, then they may do it. But yeah. if you say like two or three times a day, then they won't do it at all. And so yeah. it's just like, oh, what is, what is this? How does this work? And so, you know, I came up with the, um, I'm just going to run through the story real quick. Cause I'll yeah, for sure. heard it like a billion times, but I was taking a, uh, education course in Dallas and I, and you know, I'm a, I'm a big dude. I'm a lifter. I'd like to lift things. So I don't, yeah, you're strong as hell. Yeah. Oh man. I don't have, basically, like, you basically could curl me. I'm, I don't <laughs> weigh that much. I've seen you. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> right. But so I don't have that, that proclivity towards like cardiovascular training. Right? Yeah. But I get off the airplane in Dallas and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm the fittest person in this entire airport. <laughs> and then I'm like walking to the bus that takes us to the rental car place. And I see this lady walking and she could barely walk and she's yeah. like wheezing. And she's like, maybe late forties. And yeah. I'm like, dude, like, and then, you know, Dallas had all those shootings. Yeah. It's like if shit hits the fan, you're, you're a liability to everybody. Oh yeah. And I'm like you and you're not saving yourself and you're not saving anybody. And so like, if you just think about, you know, the harsh reality of if you're a liability or not, yeah. Like, you know, just because I don't run a lot doesn't mean I can't sprint from danger, you know what yeah. I mean? And it doesn't yeah. mean that I can't run another couple of miles just off of sheer adrenaline, you know? Yeah. And so oh, sure. It's like, there's, but I have the capacity. I have a work capacity. Yeah. So like the majority of people like just don't and they don't think that way. And, you know, so they also have this, um, this, the blinders on to like violence, right? Like yeah. well, it's never going to happen. I'm like, really? It might, it might, oh. not, but you it should. absolutely will potentially happen. <laughs> right. It Especially where, yeah. I mean, it depends where you live. I mean, so the job I, my first job I had as a PT before I quit and started SoCal bike PT my practice here. Um, I was actually the director of like a, an urgent care that does like work comp. So I directed the like, um, rehabilitation side oversaw PT, chiropractors, acupuncturists, great job. 
but it's in like the super ghetto. Like yeah. where, where those like in San Bernardino, where those like terrorist shootings were like a couple of years ago, it's yeah. literally like right around the corner. There's just violence all the time. And there was literally a day where there was a shooting in the parking lot. And then like, there's an active shooter scenario where the guy like shot someone outside a liquor store and it was like running around in our parking lot. And like, uh, like the police were chasing him, stuff like that. And like, we had to like super crazy quickly, like run around the whole building and lock doors and get people away from the windows. It was like this whole thing. And like me and like the one other guy I worked with who were like in shape, were just running around by like, getting people and stuff like that. And everyone else was just like, like sitting in their chairs, like, Oh, oh, what do we do? Try to get out of there. And I was just like, Oh man, like if that guy came in here and someone had to like run out of here and escape, like, I know who's surviving. And I was like, dang. <laughs> so when I get confronted with some of those like kind of scenarios, I was like, Oh, okay. Gonna keep working out. <laughs> right. So gotta stay, gotta but, stay as hard to kill as possible. <laughs> right. But that's you writing <laughs> that's stress inoculation. Yeah. You know, because if like, if you can, if you can get through however long you rode in yeah. 100 degree temperature, then you can pretty much do just about anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, you know, that's like, that's like keeping your body in a ready state too. Like I also believe that you shouldn't really have to warm up. You know what I mean? Like if you're being assaulted, you can't just be like, hold on, bro. Hold on. I have to stretch before I sprint away from you. I have to do some <laughs> jump rope before we fight each other. Like that's not, you know what I mean? So you have to have your body like ready to do stuff. And yeah. so, you know, that means that like, you know, in the sum of the parts, there's only the parts. So you got to start you know, working at your joints and then make sure that they know what to do and have enough variance in your movement to where your brain has movement solutions to where if you just have to haul off and run across the parking lot, your hamstring's not going to lock up. You know yeah, I mean? I mean, I think you kind of talked, you kind of hinting at like, like movement variability. It would basically is like, hey, if you only do the same thing over and over all the time, you're going to get really good at doing that and really bad at anything else. And that's yeah. kind of like, what i see here so like my practice i basically i exclusively see bike riders right and not just not just people who have a bike people who if they were to give me like five ways that identify themselves oh i'm a husband i'm a father i'm a physical therapist i'm an entrepreneur i'm a cyclist cyclist or like bike rider is one of their like big five identities those are the people i see yeah and with comes with that it's a couple of good things one they're already going to be bought in working with me because I get it. I do what they do. But the second thing always happens is like basically all they do is ride because it's such a repetitive man-made movement that only goes in one plane. It kind of forces them to not have any movement variability. And so I kind of tell them every time they walk in, I was like, I basically already know what's wrong with you. You just have unique symptom presentation. Like really? I'm like, yeah, it's probably one of these three things because as a bike rider, you're only moving forward and back in the sagittal plane. You don't have any variability. So you have all these frontal plane and rotational instabilities and lack of control because you never do that. So then all of a sudden, when you start to fatigue, your body will find and borrow range of motion and control from other planes you don't own. And that's where you get injured. And they're like, can you explain that in English? And then I do. And I, yeah. I have a, I have a whiteboard in here and I use like a bike wheel to explain, but once they understand that they go. Yeah. Oh shit. I know. Oh. And what's funny is, is I came from, you know, after mixed martial arts, I went into CrossFit. And yeah. CrossFit's the same thing. And it's a good sport. Just like oh, yeah. a good sport, just like running is a good sport. But once you go from training to sport, 
then you start to create those dysfunctions, right? Yeah. Like, like I explained this at the CrossFit gym until I was blue in the face and they're just like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, but like runners, you know, like, and cyclists, like that's their thing. Like oh, if, yeah. they, if they like, especially runners, like they're like running is, is a thing that's really interesting to me to where it's a high level skill, but like people just think that they can just grab some shoes and start doing it. Yeah. So, and then they're just like, well, I ran 20 miles and now it hurts. I'm like, well, how much did you run before that? Well, I didn't. Yeah. And I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Just, it's, um, it's kind of funny. So like I, 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 it, being in practice and kind of like niching down and only seeing cyclists has been an advantage for like two reasons. One, like I start to see a lot of unique patterns of like compensation on the bike. Like I've never learned about, you just kind of have to like get your hands on enough people and realize like, wow, a lot of people compensate this way. The other thing is kind of like, um, understanding like how people come to be, come cyclists like a lot of them have some kind of background i always ask them like oh how long you been riding how did you get into it because it kind of tells me and a lot of people they started off i wanted to get into shape and live healthier for some reason that's a health scare someone in their family like died at a young age and they're like oh yeah i don't want that to be me so they asked him well, what should you start oh you should start running okay i'm gonna start running which we know as movement practitioners is a crazy high level skill that most people lose because they just stop running as, as the kids grow older. Yeah. But then they start running and they're like, oh, this is cool. Wow, this hurts like shit. And someone's like, well, it's high impact, so just pick something that's less impact. So then naturally they go, well, I'm going to pick up bike riding. Yeah. So they go ride a bike because some doctor's like, well, try bike riding. It's low impact. They get a bike, they go out there, and then they get the bug. And the bug is this. Under your own power, you're moving very fast, and it's a unique sensation because even someone who's completely out of shape, you put them on a nice road bike, they'll ride on a flat piece of road 20 miles an hour. And that's the first time you've ever experienced actual wind in your face going faster in your power. You're like, I'm hooked. What's funny is the exact same dysfunctions they've had when they were running and it caused them to quit that, they bring to the bike. But the interesting thing is on the bike, you have five points of contact, two hands, two feet, and your saddle. What that means is you now have four other places to compensate with for the exact same dysfunctions you have. So I always tell people, and I basically draw a pyramid for them, and the bottom of the pyramid is like your dysfunctional body as it is right now, and then everyone just stacks performance on top of it, and they call themselves an athlete. And I'm like, no, you are a very broken performer. And what's really funny is I've noticed the people, some of the writers at the highest level of the sport I've been fortunate enough to work with are that case where they have massive dysfunctions and all they do is just stack performance on top of it. And so, but because they're just innately super good, even with all those dysfunctions, they're pro. Right. It's really funny. Like their ability to ride with dysfunctions and all these compensations, they can still go win professional races that's just their innate ability. So I have a couple of those right now and I explain this to them. Like you're putting in 20 hours a week on a dysfunctional body with all these compensations and you can still perform this well. Work with me and imagine what happens when we take away these dysfunctions and all of a sudden your baseline is the same. And now when you stack your training on your higher level performing, and I've had a couple of athletes now go through work with me for like over a year 
and they're training half as much, like 10 hours a week instead of 20, 25. And their numbers as far as performing and their results are better when they tra- than when they train 20, 25 hours a week. And they're like, holy shit, this is crazy. And I was like, it's not crazy. It's science. It's so science. you're welcome. <laughs> like, yeah. you know. So like then coming from the CrossFit space, you see somebody, <laughs> you know, they have a dysfunctional squat because of lack of ankle dorsiflexion or whatever it is, or they don't have external rotation of their hip or whatever it is, but then they just do like 150 squats on a workout. You're like, okay. Yeah. So what are we doing? Like, you know, or like the, the man runners, like see, that's a thing. Like you could probably see it more on a, on a bike because yeah. you're in that world. But like when you see a good runner, you're like, holy shit. Like that guy is super efficient. He's yeah. so fast. You know what I mean? It's not high impact if you're running properly, right? Because we're right to absorb that impact. But then, you know, I was watching a road biker on my way to the gym today, actually. And I was watching, I was watching his knee come up in external rotation and then push down yep. going valgus. And I'm like, that's probably exactly what happens when he walks. It's probably exactly what happens when he runs. So yeah. then he's like, well, I have medial knee pain. And you're just like, but you know, the bike is low impact. And you're just like, okay. Yeah. Um, it's really funny. Like there's this misconception that like high impact means high danger. Low impact means low danger. It's like, no, it's, <laughs> it's not true. You can have high impact, but you need to have like highly effective means of dissipating that force. Right. So I just, I just had a, I just had my patient right now who's like a triathlete. He talked about like, he has like the same problems running as he does on the bike. He's like, but it's low impact. I'm like, no, it's, the same mechanism of absorbing force through your leg and kind of like distributing that to the hip and running it's force absorption. You're landing with a shit ton of your body weight, absorbing that force falling forward and kind of springing out of it. Bike riding is the inverse of that. You take that same compressive mechanism of ankle dorsiflexion, knee flexion and hip flexion, and then going into extension. But now it's force generation. It's the exact same thing. It's just working in reverse. I told him that he was like, Whoa, that's crazy. But what I see, the, the biggest issues I see with people on the bike and getting injuries from is they ignore kind of like two fundamental facts that I literally educate everyone on. I'm going to talk about this right now. And the first thing I have to tell every single person, I look at them and I say, you were not designed for that. And I point at their bike and they go, what do you mean? And I say, that was engineered by a computer and an engineer and built with perfect specifications to be symmetrical in every way. And they made tens of thousands of them. It is a machine. You are completely asymmetrical. And they're like, oh, and I'm like, no, 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 like symmetric, asymmetrical. You got like eye dominance, more organs on one side. Like your lymph nodes are not even like distributed evenly. Like you're going to have leg length discrepancies. Like you're asymmetrical. So the first thing you have to respect is you are designed to fit this thing, period. And they're like, okay. So that's the half of it. That's the bike fit component is you have to make the interface. I call it interface between the man or woman and the machine ideal. The second part of it is this is a man-made movement. It's like I tell you, like this was invented, like 1850, 1860, when the chain-driven bicycle was invented. That was the first time in the 200,000 years of human being existence that someone would sit on a thing with their perineum and move their legs in a perfectly like circular motion and move forward. It's a relatively new thing for us. You got to respect that. And they go, "Whoa, shit!" And they're like, "Yeah." So how do we make your body as 
resilient as possible to tolerate the demands of this thing. And the other half of it is how do we get the machine to actually integrate to you? And that's a really complex thing. Starting from the ground up, like oddly enough, I mean, you probably would, you, you, but I tell people like, oddly enough, the most important interface of this whole thing is the shoe. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, in the real world, you were designed to be barefoot and your foot is malleable to whatever the earth presents you with. You know, sand, rocks, grass, walking over, whatever. Like, that's what your foot was designed for. On the bike, we have to bring the earth up to your foot. And then put your foot in a position where you would naturally move. That allows you to naturally move on the bike because you're going to do tens of thousands of repetitions on a single ride. Because you do the math. You average this RPMs for how many hours. You can do math. And when you tell them that, they go... Oh, so it doesn't matter if it's low impact. If you do 10,000 reps of something a little off that your body isn't ready to do, then problems persist. And so now you help them understand that these overuse injuries, and I tell them like there's no, like overuse injuries, everyone has a potential stimulus that is overuse. The strongest person in the world, if you added just five pounds to his max, can't do it. There's always some over thing. It's just a matter of bringing your body to the place where you can tolerate all of that. When you can't tolerate any of it, you get overuse injuries right away. I can ride one hour. I said, well, your body can basically only tolerate doing that for an hour. It's not overuse injuries. You're just not prepared. And they're like, oh. So half what we do is identify where you are unprepared and then make you prepared and then get you back out there and riding because it's important to you for some reason. That whole thing I just said right there, like that's the easy part. That's the clinician side of me. I can do that in my sleep is teach someone how to do that. The hardest part that I have and what I try to work with people is like understanding that people are human beings first and they're always going to be skeptical, nervous, and indecisive about me, about what I offer, about what I'm going to do with them. So the like marketing to the right people and talking and developing them to the right client before they walk in the door is like 95% of where my attention is. The part where I actually treat them in clinical practice, I can do with my eyes closed. It's, it's at, at this point now, I've treated enough people and been a PT long enough, like I don't really have to think that hard. I have to problem solve on their evaluation. It's really fun. But once it's like, hey, let's get you on this program, it's basically just, a, it's just you know, the said principle and guiding them through that process. But mm-hmm. What's, what, what I find with my practice is because I've niched down and kind of positioned myself as like the authority on cycling specific rehab and training here in like Southern California, like I cater to a very specific type of rider. And so when I get them on the phone, because I don't have anyone that just like, you can't just schedule an appointment and walk into my office. Like I don't want that. I make everyone go through a phone consult where I basically don't even talk about their problem really. I basically like, okay, yeah, your knee hurts, yada, yada, yada. I go like, I, and, I, and I was mentoring one of my like newer PT friends about this. Like when we're trying to get people to buy into stuff, you have to go like, what is this? I, I teach like six layers deep of why. Like you have to ask why six fucking times before you truly get to what is their deepest driver. And if you can get to that, that's the difference between someone coming in for like two or three sessions or someone being loyal to just you and will sign on for like a six month program because they believe that you're the one that can actually help them. Not because you're the most technically, technically skilled. Like I am not the best therapist in the world. 
I don't have advanced manual training or all these other cool things and certifications. I'm like Dr. Tim PT. That's all I need. But when I connect with my writers at the deepest level, then they're bought it. It doesn't matter who I am. I could be a chiro, a massage therapist, a shaman, like doesn't matter if I, un if they feel that I truly understand the deepest part of why they're coming in here, they'll come back every time. And I'm slowly learning that more and more. And it's crazy. Like, so for example, and I, I wanted to bring this up. Let me pull out. I wrote this down. I want to talk about this today. I emailed a new guy versus versus chart the other day. And I was asking him like, okay, you know, oh, you're coming in a bike ride. You have like a little calf um, pain. That's the first why. Okay. And then I said, okay, well, like, well then why, why do you try to get out of pain? So, oh, cause I want to go, uh, I want to go ride my bike and not have it hurt. That's great. Why? Oh, well, I really like going out and doing big long rides and participating and, uh, doing stuff like that. I can't do it right now. Okay. Why is going into those things important to you? Oh, cause I go with my friends community and that's where I kind of like get the social aspect of it. I feel fulfilled. I make good connections, stuff like that okay, well, why is that important to you? And he's like, uh, like, why is it important to get this problem solved? Like, why can't you do that? He's like, well, honestly, and then he said something. He's like, right now, every time I ride, I'm living in fear that my body will break down and I will not survive the next ride. I was like, okay, well, why is it important for you to solve that? He's like, I already see, he's 24. He's like, I already see older people, not even that much older. He's calling older, like 30, 40, like hell, like 50 older. He's like, and they're broken and they're just out of shape and they're just life is sucks for them. And they like, can't tolerate that. It's like my biggest fear is my body's going to break down and I'm going to be that. And I'm not going to be able to be part of my community and I'm going to lose my relationships and I'm going to lose my identity as someone who's part of this. And so when I got to that, now all of a sudden I started speaking to him about his identity. So then I follow up and I go, uh, Hey Ken, if I can solve this problem for you, like what value will it bring to your life? And he's just sat back in his chair and he's like, what kind of question is that? And I was like, think about it. What is the biggest value it would bring to your life if I could take away that fear that your body's going to break down and fail you? And he's like, he's like, that's everything. Like, I would literally give anything to never fear again that my body will break down on me. He's only 24. And I was like, there we go. So then we did our evaluation. And then when I told him, I was like, honestly, like, I think you should hop onto like a six month program. I can completely retrain your body. Here's how much it caught. He didn't even ask. He was just like, yes. At that point, you're not selling physical therapy. Like most times people, especially in physical therapists, like we as a profession have a really weird relationship with selling. We think customers want to buy physical therapy. What customers typically want to buy is accountability or they want to buy um some longer term solution they want to buy understanding like they're trying to buy something completely different than i'm trying to sell them so i don't sell them physical therapy i basically let them tell me what they want i literally ask what do you imagine what like what do you hope to get out of our time together and like what you expect me to do with you and they literally go i'm looking for someone to keep me accountable and actually get to this goal so then i flip around cool go Awesome. That's exactly what I sell. My goal is to keep you accountable. Here's our six month program. I will keep you accountable to that. Boom. They didn't, I didn't call it physical therapy sessions. You sell what they actually need. And I'm learning that from my mentors and I'm trying to teach other people. Like if you want to help people the best, stop playing the profession card. Like no one really cares. 
I think like I'm, I'm technically a newer graduate from physical therapy school. Like I've been licensed for like eight months now. So I'm fresh. I've been working with people for like eight years, but I'm a fresh PT. And I basically told some students that I met at a conference in Florida, the, the only reason you really go to PT school, one, yeah, you'll get this knowledge and skills to actually work on people. It's the status. And they're like, what do you mean? Like you went to PT school because you want to throw the doctor in front of your name. Why I did it, because it does two things. One, it raises the floor of people's confidence in your abilities because you must have learned something to get the doctor in front of your name. And then the second part of it is basically um, like, okay, you've got that, see, like that floor of people's confidence in your abilities. And then it's just a way to say that like, hey, I know how to do something. And then the, after that, it's how you talk. No one ever cares about the letters after your name. Like uh, someone told me early on, like, hey, you want to go out there and treat people the best? Get as many certifications after your name as possible. Learn as many clinical skills and all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, that, that seems a little bit wrong because the best outcomes I ever get, the ones that people, people actually talk to really well and communicate what we're doing and solve their problem. doesn't matter what profession I have. If I can solve their problem, I'll go to anyone. So now that I just think about how can I solve your problem, and then sell you that, that's how we truly help people. I don't know, is that how you think? <laughs> okay, so we're out of time. That was, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That was like literally one of the greatest fucking rants I've ever had on this podcast ever. So, well, good. And so, no, that's, um, hold on, I'm sitting with a lot of stuff. There was a lot of stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I tend to go on long rants just because like, and here's why, like I went to school for three years to learn what is basically what I call a clinical skill set. Like the ability to have someone tell me something's wrong, me to problem solve that, and then do what's necessary to solve that problem. That's basically what I went to school for three years for. Right. I never learned how to talk to a human being, the art of sales and persuasion, how to market a message that helps someone identify within themselves they actually have a damn problem and then not even learn how to guide people to take action to do something and then the best the biggest part of that which i'm still learning is identifying which are the right people everyone has this misconception that if you have 10 people who phone call you that all 10 are perfect and ideal for you in mm -hmm. reality out of the ten, out of every 10 people that somehow come in contact with you and inquire about your services three of them don't belong there right in any way like they're just mm -hmm. Not would, the right fit. Man, I would even say more than that. I like there's if you're good, if you've narrowed down your marketing to screen out people from the get-go, still three out of the ten will get through and they're just missing a little something. The goal of marketing is to close that gap for you and for them. Because all it does as a from a patient side is they, if they're problem aware, like I have a problem, and now they're solution aware. Okay, there is some solution out there. I need to see someone and they come to me. The job of my marketing is to help them understand if I am already the right solution for them. So because of that, my marketing stuff is very specific to bike riders who have pain and want to get back to larger activities where it's part of their identity. And like I use language that says you're committed to long-term stuff. And I basically be like, if you, if you want quick fixes and don't want to do anything yourself and you're not coachable at all, don't come work with me. You're just going to get frustrated, and, but I will gladly point you to someplace that just wants to order you around. So the yeah. whole point of marketing is develop someone's 
develop a customer. So by the time they contact you and come in, they are already so sold that this is the right solution that they're already bought in. And that may sound greedy, like, oh, I'm just trying to get as many people in here, but I solely didn't know. But from a customer perspective, like think of the last time I went to the Apple store to buy an iPhone. I'd have to walk in there like, please buy this. They're just like, which one would you like? Because the marketing had already had me so sold on walking there and buying it. And the process was so easy that I was like, yes. I didn't care what the price was because it's going to bring so much value and solve my problem. Patients are the same way. And if we want to give the right care to people, we need to make it as easy as fucking possible for them to get the, so their problems solved. So like right now it's so freaking hard. Someone's like, Hey, my thing hurts. What do you have to do traditionally? I have to call up my doctor's office first. That's the first thing they do. Oh, we have appointments in a week or two weeks. Okay. And that's my only option because I think I can only go through insurance. Great. So they go there. The doctor walks in. It's like, oh, it's a musculoskeletal problem. They basically do three things. Order imaging. Uh, nothing. Uh, give you uh, some kind of medication or some stupid brace that's not good for you. That's basically the four things they can do. <laughs> and then send you out of there. And that's it. Their goal is to screen out trauma. And then they send you to whatever physical therapy practice they are in network with. So you have no choice. It's like, oh, we're... And just, just, just go there. Tell me about them. They're the only one we can send you to. So go there. So then you walk in and then like, by the time this person's actual problem is addressed or a solution has been presented, we're talking like two weeks to four weeks. By then it's, if it's not a big deal, the symptoms have already gone down. They don't think they have a problem anymore. And that's why people come finally into me with so many chronic issues is because they've gone through the cycle of I have a problem and never really got solved. It just kind of went away a little bit. My goal, and with this practice, and I'm part of a, a group here of practices, is to make it as easy as possible to get your problem solved. Yeah. And as clear as possible. So when they walk in, I literally have a menu of prices with like no hidden bills, no taxes. This is the bottom line price to solve your problem. And if they're the right person because they value their body, they go, thank God, this is so easy. It's price up front. Here's where it is. Let's get this shit solved, and I actually will help you do that. That's yeah. the whole premise behind this because it's so hard. When you make the solution as easy as possible, people will choose the easy solution. The problem is the easy solution is not always the right one. My goal is to make the easy solution the best solution. When you combine those two, now it's great. And the right people that come in the door and value that, they're like, I've been looking for you forever. I'm so glad I'm here now. Right. So then – yeah, there's a lot to unpack there too. So the status thing, we're going to go back to the status thing because I think that's really interesting because initially I wanted to go to a PT school to help people. and But I hit that that roadblock of uh, higher level math where I just, like I'm, my brain is the type of brain where it's like this is how you would apply it to this scenario and this is why you need to learn it. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. But then like the physics, like, you know, the question that I use all the time is like, we'll figure out the velocity of this hockey puck sliding without friction down the road. Like, where the fuck did the hockey puck come from? Yeah, and, why is a hockey puck going on the road? And, and how is it sliding without friction? Let's talk about and, that. And nothing starts without friction. I'm like, that's a dumb scenario. Right. And so that's, so that's where I hit this roadblock. Or when I was doing anatomy and physiology, they were like talking to me about the women's menstrual cycle. And I'm like, how is that? going to help me with somebody's rotator cuff injury. How is that even important? 
Yeah. But then, it's, like, yeah. But then the further I get into my practice, I'm like, oh, that's really important. Because if a woman's 100%. not having her menstrual cycle, that's big fucking issue. We need to address that. Oh, yeah. So, but, you know, so then once I missed passing the physics class by 1.2 points and then I had like a stress-induced heart palpitations and just had like a complete meltdown because I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. Yeah. I realized that uh, there was a massage school in town that took um, uh, financial aid and I only needed a couple hundred hours in order to get certified in Arizona. So I just jumped on that. But now like when I'm talking to like local PTs and local chiropractors, they just, they're just like, Oh, you're a massage therapist. Yeah. And that's, that's some bullshit. Like I'm going to call, I'm going to call that right there. So like for the record, I am Dr. Tim Wu physical therapist. I've got two degrees. I've been college for 10 years. I've worked with people for eight years, whatever. That's all like stroke the ego. People think like, Oh, I'm not everything. Like that is complete bullshit. Like I have met so many licensed massage therapists, personal trainers, chiros, athletic trainers, whatever their title is. These people are brilliant, better movement practitioners than I am currently or could hope to be and understand things deeper than I ever will. Not because of their titles, because they've been putting in the years of really learning all this stuff. You mentioned Andy. Like we had this conversation, Andy, shit, at uh, you know, Movement Reborn in yeah. San Diego. And I had this conversation with him. I was like, Andy, you are brilliant. Like yeah. I talked to you and you just, your level of understanding movement and kind of approaching patterns is like what I want to get to. And I was like, how'd you do it? He's like, well, I spent the past 10 years learning everything I possibly could. Right. It wasn't some structured d- degree program you had to get a license for and go on $100,000 debt for. He just was constantly learning. So right. like the idea that because you're, just a licensed massage therapist, you don't know anything, I go, whoa, 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 whoa. That dude has put his hands on more people than I possibly ever have. He's probably got more pattern recognition for soft tissue compensations than I'll ever have because I don't put my hands on that many people. Everyone always has some value. And the weird thing I kind of see in our profession, like we were indoctrinated in school to like, you're a doctor now. You are now the superior movement expert. You need to act and talk that way. And it basically makes a bunch of assholes who walk around and flaunt the title to just be like, assume I know everything. And I say, I use my title because I earned it and it builds people's confidence and like floor of confidence, my abilities. And it's just, it's a psychological thing. When they call me Dr. Wu, they're already more bought into what we're going to do. It's going to help them. But beyond that, I already know everyone probably knows more than I do. And here's why. Here's, here's the busting the myth for everyone out there who's like, I want to go to PT school because I'm going to be the best at this. PT school makes you a generalist. What I mean by that is I spent three years. I learned everything from anatomy and physiology, the basics, some orthopedic stuff, neurological rehab, working with kids, working with seniors, working in the hospital, working in a pool, hell, working with kids on horses, like literally a little bit of everything. It's the platter. It's like a little bit of everything. So I literally had to work in a hospital, go treat little kids, work on people with strokes, do some orthopedic based stuff. So you're well-rounded, but you're not really good at anything. Yeah. That's the general. So when I got out and now I'm, well, I would call it orthopedics, but when I start realizing it's all the damn same, like you can't separate neurological systems and the musculoskeletal systems. And no, people are like, I'm an, or- I'm an orthopedic like clinical specialist. I'm like, that's great. I respect that you did that. 
how does that help me help someone better? So now when I was talking with Andy, I was like, Andy, you need to teach me this movement stuff. When we were at um, the movement maestros course, the yeah. moving with the maestro we hosted there. I loved it because I was surrounded by people that were not PTs. I was just like, teach me. We had yeah. like a yoga practitioner who like, like study for 20 years at some crazy place in India. She's a like, I don't know how yoga like things go, but if you're like the grandmaster wizard of yoga, she's that person. <laughs> yeah. And the stuff she was teaching me about coaching breathing. I was yeah. like, bro, I learned two things about breathing in PT school. You need to breathe. <laughs> And, and don't not and, breathe. And don't, basically, don't not breathe. <laughs> right. So getting out of school, I'm a generalist. So half of the skills that I have, I will probably never use again. I never want to. Like you put me in the ICU of a hospital and someone who has like 12 lines, drains, and tubes and says, hey, safely get this up, this person up and walking. I can do that. When the hell am I ever going to use that again? I don't know, but I right. learned that skill. It's when you get out afterwards that now you have to really focus on what the hell do you actually want to do and then go out there and get really good at that. And that's why I love talking to other people who their profession, like as, a, as an LMT, you're never going to go in the hospital and get someone out of bed with an IV in there and make them walk around. Like that's just not in your practice act. But you probably could teach me a million things about actually putting your hands on people better yeah. than I'd know. And that's where like, you have to put the ego aside. Like, I'm a PT, I'm the movement expert. And I have to be like, no, I'm a PT. I learned how to do all that stuff. Please teach me how to do this. And that's yeah. where I'm at now. And so whenever I meet someone who's been a PT longer than I have, and they're like, got this like ego thing. Like I've got this certification, this fellowship and all this stuff. And I'm the best at all things and stuff like that. And I go, great. But you've only ever learned from PTs. Like go learn from other people who have a completely different approach. And guess what? They're usually probably better or writer than you. Right. And so it's, you know, because I, I remember very distinctly talking to multiple chiropractors in this town, like I'd take, I'd um, go with my clients to their appointments so I can talk to them and see what's exactly going on. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, I talked to this chiropractor and he pulls up a the x-ray and he's like, oh, you're an LMT. Okay, this is a psoas muscle. No. And I was like. Like that condescending? Yeah. And I was like, really? Man. Like, See, that, that shit pisses but, me off. Yeah. Or it happens where, you know, I'm talking to people who are really into it. Like, you know, we both took like DNS courses and we're just, you know, are, are having a great conversation. Then he finds out I'm a licensed massage therapist. And then he just sits back and just stares at me. And I'm like. Yeah. And. You just, you just made this date super awkward, bro. Like. Yeah. And it's. Uh, but there's. And it's really refreshing to be able to talk to all these different people at all these different courses that have that are humble and have that level of respect for just about everybody who can help someone because I yeah. don't care about the only reason that I took all of these certifications that I had was because I was getting pissed off and frustrated that I didn't know the information that I needed to know bingo and so that's why I look to learn stuff because something comes up and I go I don't know how the hell to solve this. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go and learn how. Yeah. Because I'd be like, well, why the fuck can't I make this person better? And then I see another yeah. course and then we're like Dr. Perry Nicholson. He's just like, well, this is why you can't make that person better. I'm like, shit. All right. Oh, you know, yeah. oh stop so, chasing pain. Yeah. 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 Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, but then I follow all these different people that just lead me down all these different directions that allow me to 
help people as effectively as I can. And because I don't have that doctor in front of my name, I have to work really hard to talk to people. Just like you said, to get that buy-in because it, like, yep. it's a status up. That it, it's status. Right. Like, um, I'm a big part of um, Greg Todd's SSPT nation. It's like smart success, physical therapy. It's this whole like program that like is designed to kind of like decondition these like really bad habits that we get going in our profession and make us like more successful entrepreneurs and better care providers, more collaborative, and all these great things. He talks about that. He's like, yeah, uh, you know, you basically went to school to gain this status. And with that status, you can now have a lower barrier to people believing you. But now you also are kind of like shelled into a category like, oh, you're a PT, you do this. And it's a lot of times you have to de-educate people on what we actually do. Because someone who like, like my wife's super into like women's health and like, like working with like premature babies, she's a therapist. That's a super different skill set and approach. And yeah. me working with like high level bike riders. So like, I always tell this when I, patients now come to me and they view me as like their point of contact for all healthcare decisions. That's the kind of trust you want with people, by the way. When yeah. you're someone's healthcare decision maker for them, they have bought in. They'll call yeah. me before their primary care doctor or before they'll go to the urgent care. And yeah. they'll ask for my advice. And fortunately enough, I can't advise on that. But I always tell people like, oh, should I go see this? Who's better? And I say, there are two there's a line and there are two types of people. There are those who need help and those who can help them. Right. You, you know, Jesse being an LMT, me, Cairo, massage therapist, personal trainer, acumen, whatever. We're all on the can help people side. And we're fighting each other over who the hell is the best and helping all those damn people out there. And I just want to tell you, like, do some math. There's no way any of all of us will ever run out of people the only right. thing that will actually benefit is if we all collaborate. Competition yeah. between us only prevents more people from getting helped. Right. That's it. So, so what, like, about, what about a Marvel team-up situation? What that's 100%. Met, what if I met up with Tim, Dr. Tim, and we just fucking made the person better together? Yeah. And so and the person's like, better. <laughs> that's what we do here. So my, my office is part of actually this practice I partner with, with a guy named Trevor, who's a PT. It's called form and function, physical therapy. We also have a sports chiro. We have an acupuncturist. We have a licensed massage therapist. We have me that does like more one-on-one -on -one stuff with like cycling niche. And then I've partnered with a bike fitter that's been trained by PTs and we just all collaborate. And the point is when we get someone in our world, whatever need they have, it's within our world. We can solve that because we collaborate. And we're not shitting on other professions out there. And I hate that. So I'm going to get on my soapbox real quick. This whole like, so one of my patients came in and they're talking, they're like, oh, you're a PT. You must not like chiropractors, right? And I was like, who the fuck? Like, we're doing no. the same thing. I was like, we're doing the same, yeah. we're doing the same damn thing. Like, I'm going to be honest. I have friends who are chiropractors who were used to be in like working in like the physical therapy realm. And I love them. And I tell them like, okay. If someone just is like an adjust and out and expects like massive change, like not my favorite thing. If you incorporate spinal manipulation or adjustments with movement retraining and therapeutic exercise, whatever the hell you want to call it, that's exactly what I do. It all depends on who the person is. As a profession, why would I shit on someone's profession? They're mm -hmm. on my side. We're mm -hmm. on the can we help people. That's yeah. it. And when I explain that to someone, they're like, oh, I'm like, don't search out the profession. Search out the provider. Right. or the company or the culture like find what fits you best so like i don't fight against anyone some other profession and i will gladly learn from all of them 
And if someone actually needs a lot of like spinal manipulation work because it, if that's what they want, I'm not the best at that. I'm yeah. gonna be like, hey, you should go see my buddy Jared. That dude is badass. Also, he'll give you exercises afterwards. Also, he's more than capable of doing that and you'll get a better outcome from it. At the end of the day, it's about helping people and not competing against each other. So that's why we do collaboration, not competition. Right, and so that's, uh, yeah, that's so interesting. Trying to get everybody on that same page. Like, cause I'm not competing with anybody. I'm, yeah. I'm doing my own thing. And so like, I'm not trying to get clients from you or vice versa or whatever it is. It's all a bunch of bullshit. And so like, the, like you said, we're just trying to help. And if, if everybody it. just gets on the same page, then everybody's on the same page. And it's so going back to like, you know, when I started this podcast, I was like, well, why are there's these, these crack and go chiropractors? I think that's retarded. It doesn't really help anybody. But now like over the last like couple of days, I've been really focusing on being mindfulness of judgment. Yeah. Like me, I'm trying really hard not to be judgmental. Yeah, And when I'm trying really hard not to be judgmental, then I find out that I'm a very judgmental person. Yeah. And it's really interesting because I'm substantially less judgmental than a lot of people. And so, yeah, but, yeah, being, you know, yeah confronting that like fault, like I catch myself and I have to do these, I have to do these called like, you know, like, like thought stops all the time. And like when I was in school and it's, it's not, I'm not going to blame my school stuff, but that's just like, when you get indoctrinated into our profession, it's real like, we're the best. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Like everyone, it, it, there's a lot of like shit talking on the professions because it's from the traditional medical model where like the human body has been one integrated system for like 200,000 years. It's, right. only it's only modern medicine that has picked apart everything. You have the neurologist, nervous system specialist. You have the musculoskeletal specialist. You have the kidney doctor you have this i have to remind people I'm like um like, all we're, shit. <laughs> we're all we're the ones that said oh no no go to the guy just for your um your urinary tract or just for your like immune response i'm like hey dude it's literally your neuroimmune musculoskeletal endocrine lymphatic nervous system and they're right. like what it's all one so in that's school the, that's the human condition we need borders for stuff so that we can understand it yeah we need okay. that but right. that's where it's like, I see this too many often. You get uh, patients who are like, oh, I have to go see my endocrinologist, my neurologist, my like allergy doctor, my chiropractor, my therapist, stuff like that. And then they all are telling different things and none of them are collaborating. So one changes this, one says stop doing that, one says that. And people are frustrated because they want to solve their problems, but they're getting so many people telling them different things. They can't pick one rabbit to chase. So they go home hungry. They, have no, they just can't commit to any of all that. Right. And it's all the same stuff. And so you got to, so that's where that intake process is really, really critically important is because their symptoms matter. You know what I mean? And so <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's, they're listening to what they say and how they say it. Yeah. How you get them better. You know what I mean? Yes. So like if they're going to their immune system, then what's going on with their immune system? This is stuff that I learned from Stop Chasing Pain, right? So yeah. like, if it's really their immune system or is it an underlying uh, infection or virus? Let's talk yeah. about that. Because it's uh, like Dr. Andrea Spina says, it's all the same stuff. Like you awesome. actually, you have to go in there and really focus and peel away a bunch of tissue to figure out where the quad and the IT band separation is. Like you oh, have yeah. to work at it. You have to like 
go in there and like dig away at all this tissue to figure out where the femoral nerve is. Bro, I've, I've, dis- I've, I've dissected, I think I have like a couple hundred hours of dissection time in school, not just on one, but like 16 cadavers. You, you, it is, it, it's all, to try and separate these things into like the nice, pretty like anatomy model you like Google is complete bullshit. Like everything runs together, is integrated, and like is way more resilient like structurally than you can like ever imagine. I tell people this. I'm like, like you see this all the time. Like, like your body is not fragile. It's like your perception of things being fragile. Like when I tell people the simple stuff, it's always fun. Like, Hey, your IT band, you want to stretch all the time? Like you know how much force it takes to deform that? Like, no, I'm like, it's like 2000 pounds of force. Like you could suspend an elephant from that. And it would still hold it. They're like, Oh my God. And you're like, yeah, you're not going to stretch that sucker away. Like I couldn't even cut that with a fresh scalpel. So let's like, that's kind of gross, but I couldn't cut it with a scalpel right. so on a 90 year old woman. Yeah. So that why your IT band hurts is because there's an inefficient application of force being applied to it. Bingo. We need to figure out why that is. So yeah. let's talk about it. You know what I mean? It's exactly. A, it's a discussion and it's like, and that's how you have to talk to people. So what, where are these inefficient forces being applied? Because that's mm-hmm. where your pain is showing up. And yeah. we'll put out that fire, but then eventually we have to do some investigating to figure out why that fire is happening. And exactly. So it's a, and it's, and it's a process. So, you know, one of the other things that I talked, that I talked to people about is, you know, the, I bring up Dr. Andreas Pino a lot because his course is amazing. Oh, he's the man. And so he's talking about, um, change in tissues equals force over time. And so yeah. how long did it take you to create that? because it's going to take you a long time to get rid of it also. So yeah. like, it took me, it took me eight years of deadlifting to go from a 275 pound deadlift to a 500 pound deadlift. Yeah. So how, how do you expect me if you come in and you have like a really true, like Achilles tendon issue, that's not a neurological muscle dysfunction. Yeah. How, you can't just expect me to fix it in one session. That's not yeah. a thing. And so like just really trying to clearly articulate that to people is really important, but you also have to know how to talk to people. So that's like one thing that you were in your, uh, in your amazing rant that you had earlier. That's, <laughs> that's one of those things that you really have to talk to people about is giving them realistic expectations of what you're going to be capable of doing in one session as compared to. Yeah. Like and I tell so, them like, I'm a, I'm a physical therapist. Like I'm not a wizard. <laughs> right. And um, it's kind of like, you kind of are touching on a point of like, my approach here, and I kind of like tell people this, like, hey, like to be a good fit to work with me, I'm going to teach you everything I know. And they're like, what? But like, this is basically, you know, a masterclass in like how to be as hard to kill as possible. Because if you understand what the hell we're doing, one, you can do it to yourself for the rest of your life. But two, when you understand why, you're more bought in to do it. And if someone, I said, like, do you actually care about why we're doing this stuff? And I'm like, no, I'm like, well, then this is not going to be a good fit. If you don't understand why and what it's going to do, it's not going to help you. And so I get to the point of we need to educate. First of all, we need to more than educate, we need to de-educate people because there is some very, very poor like health literacy out there. Call it like, you know, government-based schools have really failed people teaching them how their body works and write a can write an essay. Well, not can't even write that. You know, can take a standardized exam or do some fucking Cornell notes, but have no clue 
how the basics of the body works. So then over time, they just buy into all these thought viruses about their body being fragile. They don't even know how metabolism or like what all this shit is. So de-educating, that's the first part. And then educating on what we're doing. And then the big thing, the X factor in all of this is if they're helpable. Right. I can educate someone in the world, but they are not helpable yet. And I have some people right now where it's a little awkward when I start talking with them because that, now they're being confronted with the fact that they really want the outcome. But then when they start learning what it actually takes to get the outcome, they're like, oh, yeah. that sounds hard. And I go, <laughs> yes. It's like the people who it's like, hey, how do you want to get in shape and look amazing? It's like, um, exercise, really control your diet, treat your body like a temple, repeat forever. Then all of a sudden you'll look amazing and do all this stuff. Well, that's what I tell people. Like when people can I just think, juice for a month? They're like, no, like nothing happens. Nothing happens in a month. A bone yeah. doesn't even heal in a month. Right. Even make, like you can't do anything in a month. Right. So when I tell people like, you know, they, they're like, I want a six pack. I'm like, okay, that's probably not going to work. Why not? Because when I had a six pack, I was eating whole 30, 99% of the time. And I was doing four to five hours of CrossFit a day. Yeah. That's when I had a six pack. And so what's a realistic body shape that you want? Because all those people like Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. That's, he paid somebody a lot of money to get him like that. Oh yeah. That's like, that, and plus he's Australian and that helps. So genetics are up there. You yeah. Know, so he's it's just like, like a genetic God to begin with. So it's like, right. well, it's a lot, the, the cards are stacked in your favor. But right. the point is like the hardest thing as is from a selling point right. and like selling is always like people, I, I even thought it was like selling was a dirty word. But right. when, you, when you, when you reframe it as like selling slash the art of persuasion is getting someone to buy into an idea. The same skills I use to convince my four year old to put his pajamas on himself before yeah. bedtime is the same skills that I use to help someone educate that this will literally take six months to get the outcome you desire. And here's why and sell them on that transformation because it's delayed gratification. Right. But like that skill set, something we never learn as healthcare practitioners. Right. But I'd argue yeah. is the most pivotal skill. The, the, the ability to persuade is the most important skill to be an effective healthcare provider, no matter what the hell your initials are. Right. I don't care if you're the best surgeon in the world or like the freshest, personal trainer who just did his one week long certification. If you cannot persuade someone to buy into your thinking or persuade someone that you are the right person to help them get the solution they want, you will never be successful and they will never succeed. Right. And so what's interesting is that you learn that within yourself first, which is yeah. interesting. So like when, when you get, when you got out on that bike earlier today and yeah. you were riding and it was 180 degrees, or 210 <laughs> degrees, whatever it was. Yeah. And you were just like, you know, like I guarantee like 10 minutes in, you were like, fuck this. I'm going to go home. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? But Terrible. then you had to like persuade yourself. Yes. You had to be like, okay, bro, here's what this is going to do. And this is, you know, you had to talk yourself into it. And yeah. so that's literally what you have to do with your job as well. And so um, you got to, it's, God, it's so interesting. It's, and so one of my really good friends, what she, whenever I'm talking to her about this stuff, she says a really interesting phrase that's, uh, you choose your hard, right? Yep, 100%. So it's hard to eat healthy and it's hard to eat healthy indefinitely and it's hard to exercise, but it's also hard to eat bad and it's also hard to be overweight and, 
and unhealthy and a liability to people. So yeah. it's hard to ride your bike in 108 degree weather, but it's also hard to, you know, race in 108 degree weather. And it's yeah. hard, you know, so everything's hard. Life is hard. And you just, you uh, yeah, everything, everything is fucking hard. If it was easy, everyone would do it. And yeah. most people gravitate towards easy because that's kind of like, you know, the culture we generally have is like ease sells. If it can, if there's an easy way to do it, you can sell that to the masses because the masses generally want the easiest way to do anything. Right. Like, I don't know. Yeah, like, yeah, fit tea. Like, hey, I don't even have to get off the couch to someone to bring me groceries anymore. Right. They're not making that decision out of like, hey, my time is worth this much per hour. It's actually expensive for me to physically go do it. Let me outsource right. that task. They're just like, oh, sweet. I can fucking sit on my lazy ass and not do anything. Awesome. But as so, long as they deliver fit tea in <coughs> that shipment of groceries, Bingo. then I can just drink that and get fitter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, so – and I, what I work with my patients, I start to realize, and I'm learning more and more is the old, old idea of like, Hey, here's your exercise, go home and do them. And you order them to do it. Doesn't work. Yep. Like, like, like period. So like one of my favorite books of all time is called extreme ownership by Jocko Willing. Yep. I've read it 10 times. That's not a joke. I printed out the table of contents and it's a bookmark in every book I read because he said something crazy in there. He's like, even in the military, where everyone thinks someone's like robotic automatons who just follow orders. He said, no, no, people don't follow orders unless they believe in the mission of why they're doing it. And they deep down feel that they want to do it. You can't order someone to do something. Yeah, they'll kind of do it, but they won't actually give it their all. So you have to first make people believe in the mission and then empower them, have some initiative to do it themselves. Then they'll do it. So right now when I work with patients, like, I don't just say, here's your problem, go home and do it. I literally talk to them about their life and be like, where is this going to fit into your life? Because it's the, let's make, create the path of least resistance for you to do it with the biggest belief in the mission, then you'll comply. And right. that's why I charge a lot of money. Cause I also tell them like, part of what you're paying a lot for is because when you see that money, leave your bank account, you go, Ooh, I really paid for that. I better get my money's worth for it. Cause people hate wasting money on shit. My yeah. guy told me today, he's like, I'm already bought in on you. He's like, but I don't really get it. Like, hey, you're paying for my accountability. When you know that that money is gone and you have your appointment next week on Monday, you think you're going to show up having kind of proved to me and yourself you actually did the stuff? He's like, yeah, or else that was a huge waste, but I want the thing. So like when you start talking about people's behaviors and helping them kind of like hack their own human nature, like we do this in, in the finance side too. Like as entrepreneurs – we're not trained. Like I, I'm not trained in accounting. Like you show me a ledger and I'm like, I don't know how to fucking read this. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't know how to read a PNL. It doesn't make sense to me. You know what I do? Bank balance accounting. I go look at my bank balance. If there's money in there, spend it. That's how humans work. So why would you structure the financial part of your business around a system you don't understand that doesn't drive profits? So if you read the book profit first, it's like, Hey, set up your accounts and human nature so that you bake profit into your business from the get-go. So the money comes in, it automatically percentages out to these categories. And the only money that comes to you, you could possibly spend is already ready for you. And that's how you act. The same concept applies to life. Don't change someone's entire life. Like, okay, you're going to wake up at 4 30 AM. You're going to do this program. You're going to change it at lunchtime and get in your gym clothes and do this. And then at night, instead of spending time with your wife, because fuck your wife, you're going to do the program instead. 
Like they're going to say, no, that's too much change. You need to fit it into their life. And that's where like in PTs typically fail. They just say, go home and do this. And they're like, but how? You didn't problem solve. And people will come up with every possible excuse to not do something. Even I do. I will find every excuse not to go out and train. But because I've hacked my own habits to make it as easy as possible to just go and do it, it's now something that's like, all right, cool. I go and do it. I train myself. And that's where I'm learning with the right. And that's where like the traditional model of how people see physical therapy is not very effective because you don't get any time with the person who's most capable of helping you understand how to make those lifestyle changes. You basically get like 15 minutes with that person on the first day. And then after that, you're handed off to hopefully someone who's at least a college student or has an undergraduate degree. Mostly it's a high school graduate with on the job training. And then they're taking through all this stuff and they're giving you what knows information that's completely false. Cause I did that. I was the high school graduate who was like, Hey, I'm going to teach you exercise now and give you a bunch of the false information. So now <laughs> in my practice is like, Hey, no, no, it's just us because that's how I know you can get the best possible outcome. And then they're right. like, got it. So it really helps when I have patients that have had a bad experience in a traditional way of things are done which works really well for like the middle of the bell curve of people. But most of the people I see are a little like further on that bell curve with their expectations and their problems. Right. You know, they've had a problem for three years. They've right. tried everyone else. And now they're like, thank God someone's going to actually listen to me and actually try and problem solve this with me and just telling me a bunch of shit I've already seen before and go out. And I make sure if I do it right. Right. Yeah. Oy, oy, oy. Yeah. It all boils down to give a shit about people. You know what? <laughs> if, if I had to go, you know, I was thinking about asking, one of my old professors who has like some clout at the university I went to like, Hey, uh, uh, at an appropriate time, there's a class of like second year PTs before they go out to all the clinicals in the third year. It's like, I want to come talk to them and give them like some real life shit and be like, basically, Hey, you want to be a great practitioner? Like actually fucking care, talk to human beings and then check your fucking ego at the door. Those are like the mindsets you have to walk in the moment you get in there, like you're not important. You're here to solve, actually care what they have to do. Treat them like a human being. Human beings are massively complex. And usually it's not just the knee pain they're in, in here for. You have to go six layers deep. Why? It's the knee pain preventing them from working. So they can't earn money to feel like they're the provider of their family and it's stressing them. And it's so important that they feel like they can take care of their family because they came from a family where their dad was a deadbeat and never worked. And it's a core fear that they will end up being, someone that their children resent because they couldn't provide for them. Then when you talk like that, then you get better outcomes and you attach to them. No one cares about their knee pain. They care about their identities. They're being threatened. And then right. the skill set side of it is like, great. You now have your PT skill set. Good job. You need to learn how to market to people and educate them. You need to learn how to persuade and you need to learn how to like actually coach. Coaching and teaching are two different things. Coaching is a whole different skill set. I suck as a coach, but when I meet good coaches, I'm like, damn, you really know how to get someone from where they are to where they want to go and have the best journey there. We don't learn that as therapists. We learn yeah. treatment progressions, but the only goal of treatment progressions is to discharge them from therapy. Hey, your problem is mostly gone. Get out of here. Yeah. So it's like, what? Why would you not say, hey, your problem's gone? Now let's make you as hard to kill as possible. Yeah. That doesn't exist. It's like, they don't do that. Yeah. So if you want to learn how to coach better, Andy and I are teaching our course again at my gym in Flagstaff, Arizona, 
Ooh, I need an excuse. I need an excuse to go to Arizona, especially Flagstaff. Bring my bike out there. Yeah, man. There's so much. There's such a riding culture out here, and plus, you know, yeah. the Grand Canyon, and that's like our that's our biggest selling point. Grand Canyon. Hey, yeah. Tell me about tell me about the 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 uh, the class. Like, I was Andy invited me to go to it, but I was at a conference in Florida. I was like seriously pissed. I was like, ah, like I <laughs> yeah. know I'm gonna learn some hot shit. So, like, give me the quick rundown for myself and anyone's listening. What's your course so, about? What's it for? So we take you through the assessment, and we go through. Um, the global assessment and then narrow it down to the joint by joint assessment. And then after that, we uh, move on to breathing and core stability. And then that's pretty much like day one. And then day two is the protocol that we have called the ramp protocol, which is uh, release, reset, activate, move, and then progress. Because that's that's another thing where, you know, once you get people squatting, you're like, okay, so why are you squatting? So we need to we need to get you to progress in your squat because the yeah. squat is like a fundamental thing that human beings should be able to do. So how do you progress that? You know what I mean? So then um, and then we go into like the theory of all that stuff. And and then we introduce uh, the difference between training for sport and training for life. And ah, yeah. Right. And Man, then, that's a good point. Yeah. And then so all of the. And there's just a lot of uh, coaching cues throughout because I spent almost a decade coaching CrossFit and, you know, and coaching before that I coached uh, MMA and jiu-jitsu. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Andy's been a trainer for like 40, 50 years or something like that. So he has like yeah. a lot of, <laughs> so, you know, we just combined all of our different knowledge and we, uh, you know, like three or four months ago, we decided to do this course and we, I flew out there and we wrote an outline on the board and we started adding stuff and then taking stuff away. Oh, I saw based that. Based what people need. Yeah. yeah. And so, and, you know, we did, so this is going to be our second one. And it's going to, it's, it's so fun, man. And it's, it's, uh, I so think. Who's it, who's it for? Is it for like. It's for everyone. It's for people. It's for people that are trying to get people to move better. Okay. So it's probably from the provider side. Right. So like I'm, I'm looking at, um, coaches, PTs, chiropractors, um, uh, trainers, massage therapists, whoever. Yeah. So we also do like the basics of like pain science, like help people understand yeah. um, what like the pain science is. We also, um, kind of on the fly and we added it into the course this time because we just ran into it, uh, uh, while we were teaching that last one mm-hmm. is uh, the limbic system and how that associates with different stuff. Because there's a lot, like you were talking about, like going along with the six whys, right? So, yeah. you know, if somebody has a knee injury and their, their why is to provide for their family, that's a pretty emotional association with that knee injury. Right? Yeah, especially if they're a physical job that requires them to step up and down out of trucks all day. Right, right. And so, you know, there's, um, and that people run into that, especially when you're uh, coaching them through uh, proper breathing mechanics is because, you know, what's one thing that's associated with any kind of trauma or injury, it's the startle response, right? And so the diaphragm is associated with that. And so that's one thing that we um, are going to add in next time is just teaching people how to tone down the nervous system once you start ramping up a sympathetic response from yeah. a traumatic event. You know what I mean? Because that that will happen. Because if you have, say somebody comes in with like low back pain and they've had it ever since they had a car wreck. And yeah. you're like, well, if they get their core more stable, then they'll have less back pain. 
And then you start going through the motions of, okay, we're going to teach you how to breathe first, but then they have yeah. a function in their diaphragm that's associated with that car wreck that's yeah. causing their low back pain. You know what yeah. I mean? That's yeah. And it's, you have to attack it from all sides. Like I think, um, I'm sure the people who listen to this kind of already like hopefully know more about pain, but like when I, when I get people in here, like there's, I just made a video about it. This is the first four things I teach literally every person that walks in here and I tell them like, this is probably the most, the four most important things you'll ever learn with me or about your body for the rest of your life. The first one is the nervous system is king or, or queen, depending if it's a woman. I say the nervous system is king. And they're like, okay. And I go, I'm like, let's, let's, let's break this down. So your nervous system simply is like your brain, just that little guy, your spinal cord and every one of your peripheral nerves, your entire body to either tell things to do stuff or receive messages of what happened. That's it. That system is the nervous system. Then you have like the mechanical part, like muscle that moves bones. And they're like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Cool. And they're coming in here because they think it's all, oh, muscle move bone problem. And I go, the thing between your ears, the brain with all it's like, was like a hundred trillion and unique connections. It's like, you know, I'd argue the most complex processor in the known universe. And yeah, nobody knows shit about it. And no one knows shit about it. Like kind of a beautiful thing up here. Right. If you want anything to happen as an output or influence the input, the nervous system is the king of all that and will determine everything we do moving forward and how you perceive the world. You only see me because your eyes have input from your nervous system. You only feel me because you have input from your, like, that's how you perceive the world, period. They're like, holy shit. Like, yeah, it rules all things, okay? So then the second one is almost all problems boil into two categories. It's a mobility problem or it's a stability slash motor control problem. Right. And like, okay, I've heard of those words. Let's break it down. Mobility part. Joint rate. Is it supposed to move? Yes. Does it move? No. All right, that's a mobility problem. Knee's supposed to bend this much. It doesn't because you hurt your knee. It's a mobility right. problem. Or that, it's only I, supposed to bend this way. Yeah. And if it starts to bend this way, it's not happy. Mobility problem. Next. Right. Stability slash motor control problem. Like, cool. Now that it moves how much you can, can you control any and all of that? And can you control that under whatever situation you're in. I tell them it's basically one of these two problems. They're like, that's it. I'm like, that's fucking it. In the absence of trauma, most things boil down to those two problems. So it's very simple. Like, you know, my ankle doesn't move. Let's make it move more. Once it moves more, let's have you own all of what it moves more. And they're like, wow, that's so simple. So why don't you complicate this shit? So the third part of that is pain and tightness are symptoms. And then they go, what do you mean? I go pain and tightness are symptoms. Symptom by definition means it's the output of some other problem. So if you keep parenting, stop chasing pain. Like if you keep chasing pain or chasing your tightness, you're just turning down the symptoms. Nothing's ever going to change. And I ask him like all, all bike riders, you got tight hamstrings, tight hip flexors. Oh yeah. The tightest. Well, do you stretch? Oh, I've been stretching every day for like five years. I'm like, and And they're like, just never gets looser. I'm like, yeah, because this is not a mechanical, let's take the tissue and make it longer problem. This is your nervous system says, yeah, I don't feel comfortable letting you go there. And I don't like that amount of stretch that's happening. So then I just do some neurological wizardry on them. Hey, let's literally, you know, ISTM or rock, you know, rock blade their hamstring for like three minutes and then test, retest, all of them have 30 degrees more range. So like, how'd you do that? And I go, nervous system's king. I made it feel safe. It goes further. Good. Not a mobility problem. It's a stability motor control problem. Yeah. Pain and tightness are symptoms of an other problem. And then I also tell them pain, pain and tightness are a request for change. 
if you keep ignoring that request, this will always come back. So we can either commit and solve it right now, or I'll see you in six months when you still have these same problems. They're like, okay, cool. But those four things, now I have patients that will text me or call me and they're like, okay, so I'm having this pain and this tightness. I think there are symptoms of, and they'll literally tell me what they're feeling that they're compensating for. And a lot of times with bike riders, it's like, it's their glutes are terrible. They just have no activation. They can't use them at all. Their hamstrings are their glutes. Their back is their glutes. And so they're like, I think my hamstrings are feeling tight today because my glutes are not very activated. Like, so what'd you do? They're like, well, I teach assess yourself, assess yourself. If you need to mobilize, then mobilize. I was like, well, then you got to like activate and then reset. So then I teach them like, Hey, check your hamstrings. Do your glute activation stuff? Check them again. And they'll text me back and be like, Oh my God, it was more. It's like, there you go. That's why if you just stretch the shit out of your body all the time without actually adding any like safety to the nervous system, nothing's going to get better. So those are the four. Nervous system is king. Um, shit, what's the second one? Oh, problems are either mobility or stability slash motor control. Third one is pain and tightness are symptoms, which I literally draw an arrow on my whiteboard down to the formula that says pain is a request for change. Yeah. If you don't make the quest for change, you're going to cycle back up here. You're having these problems because it's either one of these problems and you're having these problems because the nervous system is king doesn't allow you to do that. And they're yeah. like, holy shit, that's crazy. But when you start thinking like that, all of a sudden, shit isn't scary. Right. And so I would simplify it. It's not it scary even, anymore. Right. I would simplify it even more. How? Let me but hear. Is it safe or unsafe? Basically, yes. That's right. it. So, and. <laughs> I like that. Is it safe? Is it unsafe? Right, because that's how, that's, that's, the nervous system is king, so it's sympathetic or parasympathetic, right? That's it, yeah. And so, are you sympathetic or are you parasympathetic? Yep. That's what it is. So, if this tissue is tight, then it feels unsafe. So, why is yeah. it unsafe? Is it weak and tight? Or is it strong and tight? Yeah. What is it? Because, and then, so, what you're doing with the, and so, that's like the big word, the big problem word in our industry is release, Right. Yeah, like what does that even mean? Right, so what it means is that we're temporarily convincing the brain of safety, which is then releasing the tissues, right? And then so once those tissues release because the brain deems them safe, then that gives you a neurological window to make change. Yep, and we can keep that window open. That's what I tell people, like, hey, um, I'm gonna, I just did a bike fit yesterday with someone and you basically base the saddle height roughly off of their tolerance for hamstring stretch. Yeah. They call it hamstring length, but it's basically like a supine hamstring stretch. How, how, how straight your knee gets, that's the most you could tolerate on the bike because that's what you can do. And I'm like, well, you're supine. That's a really safe position to be in. That's how much you have in this position. Right. So, well, that's right. What I do, I literally like did a spinal manipulation had him do two like glute activators and then he got 20 degrees more out of his hamstring. And I was like, okay, that's what you could have the capacity for. We just imparted a little bit of safety. Now then I threw some, I threw some rock tape on his, on his, on his hamstrings to keep that window of safety open. And then when he got back on the bike, he's like, Oh my God, it feels amazing. I was like, yeah, that is a transient effect. But the goal is to impart that feeling of safety as the default. So now you can always do that. And right. when I said that it was like, okay, I'm sold on working with you now because it's, it's, it, it's, it makes sense when you use right. simple terms. So I'm going to steal that safe and unsafe. That's patient in school. They teach us patient friendly language. 
which is a freaking condescending thing. It's like, well, patients are dumb, so you're gonna have to talk down at their level. I'm like, no, patients aren't dumb. They, they just, just don't, don't know. They just don't know what we're talking about. They don't know <laughs> jargon, and jargon right. is a term of specific vocabulary used within a field or profession. Like you hang around cops, they use jargon. You know, like I have a lot of buddies and brothers in the Marine Corps, Marines talk jargon. PTs, we talk jargon. When you talk with a human, use normal ass words. It's that simple. (laughs) You know, it's like, hey, why is it going out? Uh, Because your body doesn't perceive it as safe. That is probably understandable to most people. So when I talk like that, I like to personify stuff like, hey, your hamstrings are kind of angry. Right. So and as a, humans, we're like, well, why are they angry? Well, there's some, it's, it's probably doing the job of someone else and no one likes doing that. And like, yeah, fuck that. Hey, want to do someone else's job for them. Cool. Let's go in and solve and make it happier. Right. Not let me use my, you know, advanced release techniques and all my neurological, no, just talk like a human being. And because for me, because the doctors aren't in front of my name, I don't have to use, if I just talk like a human, they're like, well, he already knows what he's talking about, so now he's just speaking down on my level, right. which is a lot friendlier for people. Right, and so that's the so that was a post I did the other day, like when people say their back goes out. Oh yeah, yeah. That's a startle response. And yeah, so, like don't don't shame them for saying that. Say, no, I'm say, so sorry. Would you like some help with that? Right, and so but that's and then explaining to them that this is a startle response because your brain didn't have a solution for that movement that you were doing. Yeah. So then we give it movement solutions and then it feels safe and then it doesn't go out again. Yeah. It's like safety. I'm telling you, man. Like that my profession a- in general, if they hear that, would be the first thing to go would be like, or like, oh, it feels like, you know, like, oh, I slipped a disc. Our first, like our profession's first thing to do is be like, let me shame them for thinking like an idiot and tell them that they're so <laughs> right. different. There. And I go, my response now is be like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, let's, I'm let's- sorry that that's what's going on. But like, how are you feeling? Right. What, what's it keeping you from doing? How's that affecting your life? What kind of stress is that taking on you? What do you expect out of, what can I do for you? And then at a certain point later, when they now know, like, and trust me a bit more, I can say, hey, by the way, like, I just, you know, I believe in the power of knowing what the hell's going on. Let me give you a quick rundown on spinal anatomy, also like another human, in like five minutes, and now they'll never think their disc flops out again. Right. But if you just start off with that and shame them, it's like, dude, like, if you're a parent and you have little kids, they'll say some weird things about how they're feeling because they can't articulate it yet. Don't right. shame them for the way they can't articulate it. They're a two-year-old. They're barely learning speech. You just right. got to kind of like help them articulate. And that's what I hate and I see with people. It's like, uh, let's just shame them for not knowing stuff. Okay, yeah. asshole. There's always someone who doesn't know something. Just go learn it. Right. Be an opportunity. That's, but that's why we're learning from each other. All right, but, man. Yeah. yeah, we just blew out like 90 minutes. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I, I could talk all day about this. This is why I only hang out with people who I like to talk to about this stuff like that. Right. So let's uh, let's wrap this up. We'll just have to have we'll do a sequel. Um, yeah. So, well, we'll have to do a sequel. We break down a little more focus. I think you uh, and I could just talk all day about random stuff. I think we should do when we talk a little more focus. Like, um, I could I I'd like to talk a little bit more about like the uniqueness of trying to treat people who ride bikes because it's yeah. teaching me a lot about both the resiliency of human beings and the downsides of like the said principle, like right. really the downsides. Right. Yeah. <laughs> let's talk about it. So let's, uh, yeah. What books are you reading right now? Oh, that's a great question. Cause if you ask the right people, what books you're reading right now? And they go, oh, I'm not reading anything. You're like, yeah, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. So that's why I have all the people <laughs> on my podcast. Cause they're just like, Oh shit. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so what are my favorite ones. <laughs> 
just this month so far, I've read um, a book called PT Website Secrets by my friend Christine Walker. That's more a tactical book of like how to build a high converting website that actually educates patients. So I yeah. bought that and read it on the plane flight home. Then subsequently I read Dotcom Secrets twice because Russell Brunson's a genius and I really like his like sales funnel and marketing stuff. I'm super into that right now. Um, I am 80% through the book Profit First by Mike Michalowicz, which is about kind of like hacking your human habits to make businesses more profitable. And all of this is not to like be greedy and money hungry. Like my biggest goal is help as many people as possible with the right people with the best quality care I can to influence their lives. How do I need to do that? I need to have websites that get me those people. I need to be able to funnel the right people to me. I need to be able to actually make a living at doing it so I can justify doing it. And then on the like clinical kind of like, or like the more tactical, like the other side of stuff, like I just reread, um, God, uh, the way of the wolf by Jordan Belfort secret of the art of straight line sales. That is my go-to like sales and persuasion, like book. I read a lot. And then every night before I go to bed, I try to read something that's not super like entrepreneurial or healthcare related. So I'm on my, how many time through, um, how to win friends and influence people by Andrew Carnegie. Yeah. I read that book once a year. Just because yeah. you have to. And as your experience is life and change, those principles come back tenfold. So I have a super banged up, like 10-year-old copy of How to Win Friends and Influence People. And I'm reading that too. So I'm like, yeah. And that's why I like always tell people the excuse of like, well, I didn't learn that in school and I, don't, I can't afford to go back. I don't do that. I go, dude, all the books I mentioned right there, I bought once. The most expensive one was $12. Yeah. Like, dude, like, don't buy expensive coffees for one month. Turn that money into books. Read the books. And then now you know a lot of shit. So yeah. like seven months ago, I hadn't read a single one of these things. It was like my turning point. I was like, I'm gonna go start my business. Here's what I don't know. Easiest way to do it is just read books about people who are really fucking good at it. Because guess what? They basically tell you everything in the book. It's like, it's amazing. If you read a book, they'll tell you exactly what to do. And then we yeah. implement it and you're like, oh cool, that worked repeat. So I'm always, always reading something in some facet of my life, whether it's like technical marketing stuff, sales and persuasion, communication with people, leadership, like the leadership books. I've read a million leadership books and I have a category of each thing that I'm constantly learning from. And then there's also the clinical side of it. So like I'm constantly reading uh, like, Oh, explain pain. I always go back and read explain pain every once in a while. Yep. Not just because I don't understand that, just because they explain things in normal human terms so easily that I just like try to memorize segments from that book and regurgitate that. Because like when I met Lorimer Mosley and just heard him talk, I was like, I just want to talk like you to people because he simplifies the most complex pain science principles to a normal human. And that is of extreme value. That's right. my books I'm reading right now, which, right. Is, just, which uh, is a lot. Uh, the one I just got done with is uh, Rich on Paper, Poor on Life. So, oh, rich on paper, poor on life. And so that's uh, Philip McKernan. That guy's amazing. Um, and then I'm reading Seven Strategies for Wealth and Happiness by Jim Rohn. Ooh. And then uh, I just got, um, so I signed up for Michael Shacklock's Clinical Neurodynamics course. And oh, so, man, that's going to be awesome. Yeah, so I just bought that book so I could study up so I'm not just sitting there like yeah. deer in the headlights in the middle of that class trying to figure it out. So those are the ones that I'm reading right now. Um, yeah. 
Interesting. There's a lot of it's stuff. An inter- it's an interesting point when you brought up that question, like, hey, what books are you reading? It's not like that. That's kind of a loaded question because it implies that someone is constantly getting after it and trying to improve and learn stuff. Yeah. And like, um, it's really funny. The facade of success is like whatever I put out on highlights and Instagram, my friends from school and other people are like, wow, you're killing it out there. I'm like, dude, like it's a hustle every single day. It just looks like I'm killing it. And they ask like, what's your secret? I'm like, the secret is this. And I want everyone to remember this. The secret is cultivate your life so that the habits you do every day always drive you forward. That's it. If you make the habit of every day for everything, if I had the habit every day is to eat stuff that's not terrible for you, move your body in some way, always incorporate something that improves your mind or you learn something adds some human interaction that is of meaning and adds something that feels fulfilling and you bake that into your life every day all of a sudden you're really fulfilled. Like I don't make that much money because I don't tie my value to the money where I'm the happiest dude on the planet because I've baked the things I love to do into my life every day. Right. And when you so, tell people that it's like, stop making excuses, like cut out some shit that's not serving your bigger long-term plan. Like stop watching, you know, some stupid reality TV show that takes you an hour in the evening and all of a sudden just has you like be a spectator of some life and drama. Like, no, read a damn book for half an hour, get on the floor and do some breathing practice, stretch for a little bit. That's a better use of your time, but right. that it's, is just weird. So it's interesting is I've been a, a massage therapist and a trainer full time for the last four years. And I just had a guy who's in massage, uh, massage school right now, call me or uh, email me and ask me if they could get a job. And I was like, um, I'm actually kind of just starting. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, cause I spent like the last four years educating myself and getting myself to this level. Yeah. And now like I'm literally just starting the business part. So it's yeah. going to be one of those things where I'm like a 10 year overnight success. Kind of thing. That, and that's the thing. So my first career was a professional musician and the running thing in music is like, Overnight success takes 10 years. Like when some artist comes out and like, oh my God, they're overnight success. Like, dude, they were touring years and years ago, sleeping out of vans. Like I did that. Like it takes forever. But the thing is, most people don't think that you actually have the power to cultivate your best life. Like, oh, best life, hashtag best life. Like, no, that's some real shit. Like this is the one life you get. Sit down and reflect. What do you actually want? Is it time with your family is it fulfillment with what you do is it money like that's fine but pick the fucking thing you actually want <clears throat> and then design your life around that and then have the balls to actually go do it right okay most people we're, that's where it starts at yeah we're ending there we'll start there boom have right. the balls to make the change go do it all right my friend thank you so much <laughs> for taking the time i appreciate it hell yeah all right man i'll talk to you soon I'll talk to you later thank you so much jesse see you buddy